Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of the Killer Instinct podcast. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and here on YouTube every Thursday. Now, as you guys can tell from the title of today's episode, today we are discussing the disappearance of 20-year-old Lauren Spearer, who went missing in 2011 from Bloomington, Indiana. And to this day, her case is yet to be solved. Now, we haven't done an unsolved case here in a while, so I thought that this would be the perfect case to do today. And I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say about it because this case definitely leaves us with more questions than it does answers. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Lauren Spearer was born on January 17, 1991 in Scarsdale, New York to her parents, Charlene and Robert Spearer. Lauren has one sister named Rebecca and she graduated from Edgemont High School in 2009. And after graduating from high school, she went on to attend Indiana University where she studied textiles merchandising. Now, Indiana University is a fairly large state school with about 40,000 students but even amongst all the people who attended, Lauren definitely found her way and she was enjoying her time in college. Lauren had a long-term boyfriend at the time of her disappearance named Jesse Wolf, and the two of them had been together for about two years. They actually met in high school, and Jesse also attended Indiana with Lauren. And along with that, Lauren did form a really great group of girlfriends. Now, one thing that everyone who knew Lauren agreed upon was how caring of a person she was. She's described as being a very high-energy girl who loved to live life to the fullest, and as a kid, she was was a full on girl's girl. She loved playing dress up and she was a little ballerina. And then moving on to her later years in life, her friends described her as bubbly and outgoing and someone that anyone could fall in love with. Now, at the time of her disappearance, Lauren was wearing black pants and a white tank top with a white top over it. She stood at about four foot 11 and was 95 pounds. So she was definitely on the smaller side and she also had blonde hair and blue eyes. Now in 2011, Lauren was a sophomore in college and Indiana being a state school, Indiana University being a state school, there definitely was a lot of opportunity to go out and party and experiment with different alcohol and drugs. And a lot of kids took advantage of that. And Lauren did the same. Lauren liked to go out and party and she did get involved into the drug scene a little bit. She would experiment with things like cocaine and other different pills and being 95 pounds and standing at four foot 11, doing those kinds of drugs can heavily impact you. They can heavily impact the average size person, but for being on the smaller scale, you can definitely imagine how those would have had an impact on her. At the time of her disappearance, authorities did find a small amount of cocaine in her bedroom and Lauren was very good at compartmentalizing her life. And I think a lot of college kids are this same. She was able to have this party girl persona, so to speak, which really when you look at other college kids was nothing crazy. She was doing the exact same thing that a lot of other college kids who have the opportunity to do that do. But along with that, she was also doing really well in school and she was able to kind of hide the partier side of her from her parents. So when her parents found out about all of this, they were very shocked to hear that their daughter was getting involved in things like that. Now, one particular bar 
bar that Lauren frequently visited with her friends was a sports bar called Kilroy's Sports Bar. Now, this was a popular hangout spot for Lauren and her friends and is located on a popular street in Bloomington, Indiana. Kilroy's really was the prime spot for college kids and still is a really big spot now. It still is standing and still is there. So before we move on to the events that unfolded on June 3rd, 2011, let's first go ahead and break down the different people that Lauren was with on the night of her disappearance. So up first, you have 21-year-old David Ron. David also attended Indiana University and was studying sports management at their School of Public Health. On June 3rd, David had met Lauren at her apartment, which was located at Smallwood Plaza, and the two of them left together to the five North townhomes where three of their other friends lived. So just to clarify, David met Lauren at her apartment. It was only the two of them, and the two of them together walked over to the five North townhomes. Now, one of the friends that lived at the Five North townhomes was a guy named Jason Rosenbaum, who also goes by the name Jay, and that is what we will be referring to him as for the entirety of this case. Now, Jay was 22 years old at the time, and he was one year away from graduating Indiana University. Another friend that lived in the Five North townhomes was 23-year-old Corey Rossman. At the time of Lauren's disappearance, he was studying real estate finance at the Kelly School of business. And lastly, you have 22-year-old Mike Beth, who studied telecommunications at Indiana University. And Mike and Corey were actually roommates at the townhomes, and Jay lived two doors down from them. Now, on the night of June 3rd, like I said, David met Lauren at her apartment, and the two of them walked over to Jay's apartment, because the plan was to go over to Jay's for a little bit and pregame over there before walking over to Kilroy's. And that is exactly what they did. However, this time, instead of David and Lauren going to Kilroy Sports Bar, it was only Corey and Lauren. So Corey Rossman and Lauren walked over to Kilroy's sports bar together and they arrived at the sports bar in the early morning hours of June 3rd. They arrived at 1.46 a.m. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, you might be sitting there wondering where in the world is Lauren's boyfriend, Jesse Wolf. Now, Jesse actually decided to stay home this night. He didn't want to go out. He was watching the NBA finals and he wanted to do so from the comfort of his own apartment. So he ended up staying home. But him and Lauren were in pretty much consistent communication up until about 1230 midnight, somewhere around there, because that is when Jesse ended up going to sleep. But up until then, the two of them were in pretty consistent communication with each other. Now, like
like I said, Lauren and Corey arrived at Kilroy's at 1.46 a.m. And Lauren was only 20 years old, so she did have to use a fake ID, which is not uncommon in the slightest when it comes to college bars. College bars have a reputation of being extremely lenient when it comes to fake IDs, and so they let Lauren in really with no questions asked. Now, Corey and Lauren ended up staying at Kilroy's for only 41 minutes before they decided to go back to Lauren's apartment. The plan was is that Corey was going to walk Lauren home and then he was supposedly going to go home after that. So the two left for Lauren's apartment at about 2.27 a.m. So the two left for Lauren's apartment at 2.27 a.m. and Lauren's apartment was only a 12-minute walk. So it really wasn't far at all. It was only a couple blocks. But at this point, Lauren was extremely intoxicated. She was noticeably intoxicated, so much so that she ended up leaving her shoes and her cell phone at Kilroy's. Now, the reason her shoes were off to begin with is because Kilroy's has a designated sandbar area. I don't know if they still do, but I know that they did at the time. And so because of that, Lauren was standing on it and she didn't want to get sand in her shoes. So she ended up taking her shoes off. However, she was intoxicated enough to the point where she didn't remember to put her shoes back on. That should kind of give you an idea of how intoxicated Lauren was this night. So she's walking around with no phone and she's barefoot and she's with Corey and they walk the 12 minute walk back to her apartment and she's noticeably intoxicated to the point that when they walk into the lobby of the Smallwood apartment complex, there is a witness who's standing in the lobby who asked Lauren if she was a okay. Now, a great catchphrase that people who are extremely intoxicated like to use is, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need help. I'm fine. And that is exactly what Lauren said. Lauren told this guy that she was fine. She was good. She didn't need his help. And her and Corey proceeded to walk up to her apartment. Now, Lauren lived on the fifth floor. So they got in the elevator. The two went up to the fifth floor of her apartment And according to Corey, when they walked off of the elevator, they were greeted by five guys who were also Indiana University students. And these guys apparently did not like the way that Corey was handling Lauren. They could see how drunk Lauren was. They could see how out of it she was. And they didn't like the fact that Corey was taking her back to her room, essentially. And so because of this, Corey kind of snapped back at them with a smart aleck comment, which resulted in him getting punched in the face. So these five guys then teamed up against Corey, punched him in the face, and because of that, Lauren and Corey then decided to walk back to the five North townhomes. Now, why Lauren wouldn't just stay at her apartment and Corey leave is a very valid question. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Lauren was already on the floor of where her apartment was. So why she would then just immediately go back with Corey is a little unclear, but that is what Corey said happened. So the two of them then make their trek back to the five North townhomes. Again, this was only a five minute walk. They lived very, very close to each other. So only five minutes. And by the time they got back to the five North townhomes, it was about three three o'clock in the morning. Now, during the walk back to Corey's townhome, there was basically an alleyway that Lauren and Corey had to walk through. And you can just imagine, Lauren is barefoot at this point, she doesn't have a cell phone, and she was intoxicated enough to the point where she ended up falling twice 
in this alleyway. And so because of that, Corey then ended up picking up Lauren and basically throwing her over his shoulder and carrying her home the rest of the way. Now, as soon as they got back to Corey's house, Mike, his roommate, was also there. Obviously, he lived there, so he opened the door for the two of them. And right when they opened the door, Corey got extremely, extremely sick. He ended up getting sick all over their staircase. And so because of that, Corey basically just went to bed. He was also not well enough to stand on his own two feet at this point, so he ended up going to bed, which left Mike with Lauren. Now, Mike wasn't really close with Lauren. He really didn't know Lauren very well, and Corey wasn't that close to Lauren to begin with either. The two of them had met weeks prior, if that, and so Corey and Lauren weren't the best of friends. This wasn't a really good friend that Lauren had. This was just some guy that she kind of knew. And she certainly really didn't know Mike all that well either. But regardless, Mike at this point saw how inebriated Lauren was and was really trying to convince her to stay at their apartment and sleep on the couch and she could just sleep everything off and then wake up the next morning and walk home. But Lauren was persistent on the fact that she wanted to walk home. She did not want to stay there and she wanted to walk home by herself in that moment. Now, after trying to convince her over and over again, Mike realized that he was not going to be able to do so. So because of that, he decided to call the next door neighbor. He decided to call Jay and told him basically what was going on, that Lauren wanted to leave, but he knew it wasn't a good idea, but he didn't know what to do with her because he didn't really know her all of that well. So because of that, Mike then walked Lauren over to Jay's apartment and basically left her with Jay. And according to Jay, he did try to convince Lauren to just sleep it off on his couch. Everything was going to be fine. You can wake up in a couple hours and you can go home, but Lauren wanted nothing to do with it, and she, again, according to Jay, was persistent on the fact that she wanted to leave. And according to Jay, it just got to a point where he just did not know how to stop her, so he ended up letting her walk home by herself. And at this point, it was about 4.30 in the morning. I think everyone can agree, if you're watching, if you're listening, that if Jay was going to let her walk home, he should at the very least had walked home with her. He could argue that it was only a five-minute walk, so he thought that she would be fine. However, you could also argue that it's only a five-minute walk and you should have gone with her. Because after Lauren left Jay's apartment that night, that was the last time she was ever seen. Before we get any further, we are going to take a quick ad break and we will be right back. Now, according to Jay, he said that he did watch Lauren leave. While she was walking up the street, he said that he did watch her walk up the street and she was able to do so fine. However, she would have had to go through that alleyway again by herself. And no one really knows what happened in that time frame. The following morning, which was still June 3rd, because remember everything that we just talked about happened in the very early morning hours of June 3rd, the bartender at Kilroy's ended up calling Jesse from Lauren's cell phone because again, she left her cell phone at the bar and the bartender then explained to Jesse that she left her phone there. And after realizing that Lauren had lost her phone, Jesse then started asking around to people, asking if they knew where Lauren was. He went over to her apartment and realized that she wasn't there. And once Jesse realized that no one knew where Lauren was, he then made the decision to call Lauren's sister, Rebecca, and tell her 
that Lauren was missing. Now, on this phone call, Rebecca asked Jesse if he thought that this was serious enough to tell her parents, and Jesse said yes. So, based off of that, Rebecca then called her parents and told them that Lauren was missing. Now, just the very next day on June 4th, Lauren's parents flew out to Bloomington, Indiana. And by that point, the search was underway for Lauren. Now, Jesse was cooperative in the search for the first two days. However, after that, his parents did fly in and basically take him home. And that did bring a lot of speculation towards Jesse. I think the fact that his parents removed him from Bloomington made a lot of people look at him more than if he had stayed and was more cooperative in the search because having him leave makes it look like he's running away from something. And again, Jesse did have an alibi. He said that he was at home watching the NBA finals that night. However, a lot of people believe that Jesse could have had a motive and that motive could have been jealousy. You know, his girlfriend Lauren was out with these different guys in the early morning hours drinking and was clearly intoxicated and walking back to their apartments and having them walk back to her apartment. And a lot of people believe that maybe he was jealous enough where he went out to look for her, found her, and killed her. However, Jesse has never been named a person of interest in this case. He's never been named a suspect. People who knew Jesse and Lauren's relationship said that Jesse was never the type of person that would have ever, ever, ever done anything like this. So because of all of those things combined and the fact that he had an alibi, Jesse's basically been ruled out in this case. Now at this point, the FBI also got involved in this case and with this search. Landfills were searched as well as different bodies of water they searched Lake Monroe. However, they came up with nothing. By June 9th, there was an $100,000 reward for anyone that could bring back Lauren safely. Now, when it comes to the three boys, Corey, Mike, and Jay, all three of them lawyered up pretty quickly, which definitely didn't help in trying to proclaim their innocence because lawyering up so quickly made them look more guilty in a lot of people's eyes. All three boys were named persons of interest, and by June 10th, Mike and Corey actually submitted DNA samples to the authorities. However, Jay refused to do so. And remember, Jay was the last known person to have seen Lauren. Now, something else that authorities did in this investigation is they went back and they looked at all of these surveillance footage that they could find of Lauren that night. And while they were looking for surveillance footage, they noticed that a white truck had been circling the block near where Lauren lived around the time frame that she went missing. Now, there was a man named James McClish who had recently been released from prison at the time of Lauren's disappearance. And James drove a white truck and he also liked to drive around Bloomington in the early morning hours of the morning, which is just a very bizarre hobby to have. Now, the reason that James was in prison prior to this was because of a domestic violence dispute with his ex-wife. He actually strangled his ex-wife, so he got an assault charge and was serving time in prison. However, at the time of Lauren's disappearance, he had recently been released. James was living at a halfway house about 10 minutes away from where Lauren disappeared from, and he also would make comments to his female friends saying, if you don't start acting right, the same thing that happened to Lauren will happen to you, which is just a very bizarre thing to say if you had nothing to do with it. 
So because of all of this, James actually agreed to take a polygraph test. Now, we all know polygraph tests in terms of their reliability. They do not stand up in a court of law for the reason being that they are not always 100% accurate. However, a lot of people do like to use them just to kind of get a general consensus on whether or not they believe that someone could have been involved or just to blatantly see if someone is telling the truth or not. So James agreed to this polygraph and he was asked questions such as, do you know where Lauren is? Did you hurt Lauren? Did you kill Lauren? Do you know who hurt Lauren? And to all of those, he answered that he did not know and that he did not hurt her. And he actually ended up passing this polygraph test. So ultimately, because he passed the polygraph and there was no other real evidence to link James to this, he ended up being cleared by authorities. And authorities then later ended up figuring out that the white truck that they did see didn't even belong to James at all. It belonged to a completely different person. They were able to track down the truck and they actually scoured the truck for any evidence that they can find. However, they weren't able to find anything. So the whole white truck theory was kind of pushed aside after that. Now, there was also another theory about a biker gang in Bloomington, Indiana, and this biker gang was called the Son of Silence Biker Gang, and it has been known to have been involved in multiple violent acts. However, that was ruled out as well because, again, there was nothing that connected Lauren to this biker gang. Now, there is also a theory that I want to talk about that Israel Keys could have been involved in Lauren's disappearance. Now, if you are unaware, Israel Keys is a serial killer who is believed to have murdered at least 11 victims before he was finally arrested in March 2012. Now, Israel didn't really have a type, so to speak. He more so targeted random people that he would come across in the United States. Now, Israel is infamous for traveling across the United States and planning what he called kill kits that he would plant. That way, he would have them in the future. That way, he could revisit those spots, have the kit there, and be ready to murder his victim. So, all of his murders were very well thought out and very meticulously planned. However, the people that he would attack would be random. These kill kits included guns, gloves, ropes, and shovels, and he would bury them in forests or underneath rocks. Now, the reason that some people believe that Israel could have been responsible for this is because he was in Indiana the night of Lauren's disappearance, and he is unaccountable for for about 12 to 14 hours, which is still in that time frame of when Lauren went missing. So, no one knows where Israel was at the time. Now, Israel visited Bloomington back in 2007, which is about three to four years before Lauren went missing, and it is believed that he could have planted a kill kit in 2007, came back to Bloomington, got the kill kit, and then targeted Lauren. Now, the fact that Lauren's body has never been found also plays into this theory because it could have been very easy for Israel to then take her body and drive it across state lines and dispose of it elsewhere because just five days after Lauren's disappearance, Israel was already in Vermont and he was already killing his next set of victims. So it could make sense as to why Lauren's body has never been discovered. However, Israel died in 2012 and he never admitted to murdering Lauren. And authorities have never really been able to make any solid connection between the two of them. But again, no one knows where Israel was for those 12 to 14 hours. And coincidentally enough, he was in Indiana and it was 
was around the time frame of Lauren going missing. Now, when it comes to the investigation, Lauren's parents have felt incredibly frustrated by the fact that they feel that authorities have been withholding information from them. Now, authorities and the media and everyone who's talked about this case has mentioned the countless amount of surveillance footage that we have of Lauren. And authorities have talked a lot about all of the surveillance videos and all of the surveillance footage. However, us as the public have only been able to see one picture of Lauren from the night that she went missing. And that was when she was leaving her apartment with David in the very beginning of the night. We have not seen anything else after that. Now, it is very possible that authorities have all of the surveillance footage that they are talking about and are just withholding it from the public to uphold the integrity of the case. She was seen here and there and surveillance shows this and that, but we aren't able to see it. We just have to kind of go by their word of it. And it is a little bizarre because in a lot of cases, you will see that authorities will push out as much surveillance footage as possible to the public. That way, someone out there might be able to have recognized her or it'll jog someone's memory of something. But with all of this talk of surveillance footage and we've only seen one picture, it is a little bizarre. Now, there is another theory in this case, and that theory is that Lauren OD'd on the night of June 3rd. The theory goes that she OD'd and then her friends took her body and dumped her in the Ohio River. And this theory actually derived from an inmate who was in prison at the time who saw Lauren's face on the news and was talking to one of his friends who was a fellow inmate in the prison. And once he saw Lauren on the screen, he turned to this other inmate and said, oh, I know what happened to her. She was at a party with some friends of mine. She OD'd and no one knew what to do with her and everyone freaked out. So they took her body and dumped it in the Ohio River. Now, part of the reason that this theory kind of makes sense is because Lauren did have a genetic heart condition. And this heart condition basically made it so Lauren had very irregular heartbeats. So because of the genetic heart condition, as well as her size, her being so small and the amount of drugs and alcohol that she was doing that night, because according to Jay, along with the alcohol that she consumed that night, Lauren also did cocaine in a different drug called clonopin. So cocaine, clonopin, and alcohol, it would have probably been very easy for Lauren to over But again, nothing has really come from that theory either. The authorities aren't saying that they believe that's what happened. They aren't really saying anything about it. And what that means if Lauren did OD is that the entire story of Lauren going back to Corey's apartment and then Jay's apartment and then walking home is entirely made up. And that is very, it's very possible that they could have made up this entire story, but why they would incriminate themselves like that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. It would have been a lot easier for them to probably say, oh yeah, we were at a party somewhere and we left and we don't know what happened to her. She ran off, we couldn't find her. And so we just went home rather than putting them on the spot and at the scene with Lauren. That part just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But then again, maybe they thought it was the most believable. I don't, I'm not really sure. Now, Jay Rosenbaum did agree to take a polygraph test on June 27th regarding Lauren's disappearance and was also asked if he knew where Lauren was and if he had anything to do with her going missing. And he answered no to all of those questions. He said that he did not know where she was. He did not hurt her, all of those things. And he actually ended up 
passing the polygraph. Now, after passing this polygraph, Jay pretty much stopped talking with authorities and for a lack of a better word, kind of moved on from all of this. He didn't want to be associated with it anymore. He thought that he did as much as he could by talking to police and doing this polygraph, and he didn't really want to be associated with any of this anymore. Now, does that mean that just because he passed a polygraph, should he be completely cleared? absolutely not. As we just talked about earlier, polygraphs don't hold up in a court of law. So even though it is interesting that he passed the polygraph because a lot of people have turned to Jay being the last person that saw her and have thought that he was the one responsible. Because another big theory that a lot of people have is that maybe she went over to Jay's apartment after Mike dropped her off and maybe she OD'd there or maybe Jay made a move on her and she rejected him and he acted out of anger. There's a ton of different theories that you could think of from Lauren going into Jay's apartment. And because all we have is Jay's word, we don't really know if Lauren even ever left that apartment alive. Now, by February 24th, 2012, the reward for Lauren grew up to $250,000. And shortly after that, Lauren's mother, Charlene, announced publicly that while she still was hoping for the best, she knew the likelihood of Lauren being alive at this point was slim. Now, when it comes to the possibility of a stranger abduction, Lauren's parents have been very vocal on the fact that they do not believe that this was a stranger abduction. They more so believe that whatever happened to Lauren was inflicted by someone that she knew. Now, with this case, I think it's also important to mention another case that happened in Bloomington, Indiana, which is the case of Hannah Wilson. Hannah also attended Indiana University, and she was murdered in April of 2015. Hannah was attending college parties before she died, and unlike Lauren's case, Hannah's was solved rather quickly. At the scene of where her body was found the day after her disappearance, police found the cell phone of her killer, 50-year-old Daniel Messel. Daniel worked at a print shop, and when police arrived at his home, he was carrying a bag of men's clothing that was covered in blood. Now, Hannah's murder was a random attack. Daniel did not know Hannah, and it's actually alleged he broke into her apartment and basically forced her out of it. But Daniel also only got sentenced to 15 years in prison over this. And at first, there was a lot of question surrounding Lauren's case when Hannah's was because it made a lot of people think, is Daniel a serial killer? Could Lauren have also been attacked by Daniel? However, authorities have come out and say that there is no connection between Daniel and Lauren. However, at the same time, there was no real connection between Hannah and Daniel either. That was also a random attack. But I think Daniel being as sloppy as he was with leaving his cell phone there, that doesn't show, to me, it doesn't show a seasoned serial killer that shows a very messy kind of first timers attempt. And luckily he made that mistake because it was able to lead police to Hannah's killer. Now, that really is the Lauren Spearer case. And as you can see, there are a lot more questions than answers. There's a lot more theories than facts. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating, especially for Lauren's entire family. Her parents say that every day they wake up thinking about Lauren and what they can still do to try and find her. All they want is closure at this point. They want to know where Lauren is and what 
happened to her. And I am also really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case. So make sure you let me know in the comments below. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're watching me on the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We post every Wednesday. And if you're watching me on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. We post every Thursday. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.